That's good. Will you turn your Bible, please, with me to 1 Peter chapter 5? 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm excited to open the Word of God with you today. The Word is good. It's living and active. It's powerful. Did you know that the Word is powerful and effective in our lives? There are a lot of things that are powerful. Music is powerful. Did you know that you can change the atmosphere of a party with music? So think about any wedding that you've been to, any wedding reception. If the music is weird during the wedding, nobody knows how to walk down the aisle anyway, right? So they're always unsure in the camera and they don't know how to do things. But if the music doesn't play or something goes funny, it makes things weird, doesn't it? And at the reception, you could have a very tense reception or a very jovial reception or whatever, depending on how you use the music and what happens. Music is powerful. It's not always effective. The Word of God, though, is powerful. It's effective. It is, it's the Word. It never returns to Him void. Think about that for a minute. What the Lord says always happens. Did you know He created the world by speaking? And then He gave us the record of it that we could read it and know it, and he would write it on our hearts. That's amazing. God is so good. I'm telling you this because most Christians don't really rest on the Word of God anymore. Most Christians try to rest on other things, namely music. It's the motto of our Christian music station, which I really like the Christian music station. Don't get me wrong, I'm not against Joy FM. But the, the motto of Joy FM is just the right song at just the right moment. Because we live by this emotional pull of the power of music. That I'm down, I don't know what to do, and I get just the right song that lifts me up. But the reality is God has given us his word. And his word is powerful. It's effective in every moment, in every circumstance. It's what builds us up because the spirit of God himself has spoken the word. This is the testimony of Christ. Christ is the word become flesh. And as we come to the word of God, we commune with the Lord himself. Because he is the one who is speaking the word to us, writing it in us, using us, and, and maturing us in Christ that we would look like him. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God to sharpen us. And sometimes we expect that the Holy Spirit is going to use um, chance meetings or divine appointments or just the right song, and that those things will be the things that will really shape our lives. But the reality of the truth is that the word of God is what we rest on. And that's becoming rare in these days. Because the word is challenged everywhere. And I'm telling you that not to concern you, but I'm telling you that because we need to be clear about our stance on the word and that we come to Christ this way. We believe the Bible. When I tell people uh, about our church, and I've had the opportunity through the concerts actually, several families asking about the church and when do we meet and they want to know things and they want to check us out online and all that kind of stuff. And they say, what, what, are, what are you about? And I say, you know, we, we believe and love and embrace the Bible. And we do our best to walk it out. And they go, oh, okay. But in your Christian church, I say, yeah, we love Jesus. We love people. We love the Word of God. And so I was talking to a guy recently, and he said, um, he said, I grew up in a Christian home, but it wasn't really Christian in a traditional sense. It was Christian in the sense that um, we believe in Jesus' teachings, but um, my dad you know, said there's no way he could ever like, be a deity. So we don't really, I don't believe in the deity of Christ, but he has the best teachings in the world, I think, to offer. 
I, and he said, would it be okay if I came to your church? Could I come and listen? And I said, I said, friend, I said, I can tell you this. I very firmly know that the Lord is God. And I want to introduce him to you. And I can tell you this. You are welcome. I would love for you to come. I will open the word of God to you and teach you the Bible. And I am not under pressure that I have to try to change you or make you conform to some thinking or convince you because the Lord himself who is alive will meet you. And he will convince you. He said, really? I said, yeah, so just come, enjoy. It'll be great. I'll take you to lunch. He was like, wow. I, wow, okay. I, I think I could do that. And I was like, wow, the praise of the Lord. But I've stopped just telling people, oh, we're a Christian church. You know, we are, I, obviously I tell people that all the time. We love the Lord and, you know, everyone wants to know. But I, I've come back to the word of God now so much because at the end of the day, what are we going to do? I want to disciple people and that's our mandate. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I've commanded you. And our church rests on the Word of God that the Bible is the means of us discipling people. We want to see people changed and walking with God and not just have just the right song at just the right moment, no matter how handsome the guitar player is. Hmm. Why did that get so many laughs, guys? Come on. <laughs> I'll just play it. Okay, 1 Peter 5. We've been in 1 Peter here for a little bit. And um, we've been talking about how Peter is writing this short letter to people in Asia Minor, mostly Turkey, to the Christians to encourage them there. He's telling them all these greetings. And in chapter 5, he says to them that after they've suffered for a little while, verse 10, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Praise the Lord for his word. We've been looking at this, these verses here because Peter is talking about in the whole of this letter of how God has a grand plan, the master plan, is that he's building the people into a spiritual dwelling, into a spiritual temple, like living stones that are put together into a place where God resides, all built upon the cornerstone of Christ himself. And that this spiritual temple is everything that the, the Israelites had hoped for in the Old Testament, of the place where God's presence resides, where he would dwell with them. And now the church is that dwelling. And we are the people of God who are knit together in one body, but he's using this building language to show built into this spiritual dwelling where God is. And the way that happens is each person as a living stone is emplaced and put in place to become this building where God is, all upon the cornerstone of Christ. We talked about what it means to be restored, to be renewed in God, to be made uh, righteous and holy in Him and in Christ, that our whole identity is in Christ and, and that our salvation is in Him and it's only in Him that we are restored. It's not just some kind of renewing of strength and then we're okay and then everything's fine. It's only in Christ do we find restoration and hope through His gospel. We talked about what it means to be confirmed, to be set up against, and what I mean by that is to be leveled on the level of what Christ looks like. So set right next to the cornerstone, put against him, put with him, 
that in Christ now we are being built up to be this spiritual dwelling, confirmed the same way that a builder would use a level to confirm that something is in the right place and that it looks right. We are built in Christ to be God's dwelling. Today we're going to talk about what it means to be strengthened. Isn't that a good thing? Strengthened, being strengthened is good. It's not great to be weak. It's much better to be strengthened. When I was in the military, I used to uh, go for runs at night, and I don't know why I did that now. Um, when I was in Iraq and I was deployed, and um, I was thinking back on this the other day, as I was thinking about some illustrations for the sermon, and it suddenly st- struck me how dumb I was. I was I was in Iraq on a base in the middle of the night. I used to put my pistol in a backpack and go for a run on the base. Like tanks almost ran over me a couple times because they can't see well and it's all dark. But you got to you know you got to get workouts in when you can and stuff obviously. <laughs> and uh, so I used to go for these runs. And I'll be to be vulnerable with you. I was always nervous about working out because I didn't want to deplete all my strength because you never know what's around the corner. Um, I remember the longest stretch I ever did was 66 days straight with no rest of being in, like outside the wire, outside, in the combat zone. And, um, you know, I come in and sleep occasionally, but we, there was, you don't, you lose track of days. You just kind of go. And I remember being concerned to not work out hard because I didn't want to deplete all my strength in case something bad happened. And sometimes I think we fall into that same trap as Christians where we think if I really get, give God all my trust, if I really submit everything I am to him, if I trust him to be my ultimate strength completely, and I don't keep a reserve, then I'm making myself vulnerable to an attack or to something bad or what happens when something goes bad and I need to spring into action. And the truth of the matter is God has designed us that if you don't work hard, if you don't deplete all your strength, you don't gain it back. That's how you get out of shape. As you go from running 10 miles a day and eating like that to just eating like that. And Christians think, I'm going to be lean and mean and strong for God if I just feed on the Word all the time. The reality is you just get fat. This happens. I can say it because Lisa's not in here, so I can just be super honest about it. She's with the kiddos today in the nursery. Anyway, so why am I saying that? I'm saying that because our idea of what it means to be strengthened in God is usually the emotional response we get from the right song on Joy FM. Generally speaking, what we want to feel is when that right thing comes on, or I went to the meeting and it was so great, or I'm still on the high of that conference that was so wonderful, or I had just the right devotion, it was so amazing, or my prayer time today was so powerful in God, or I met the right person and they said the right things, and I, it was out of the blue, it had to be God because it was random. There I was at the bread company, and somebody said this thing to me, and I was like, whoa, God's here! And then we get this emotional feeling, and we feel strengthened, and the reality is, You are the temple of God. God is already with you. He is already here because we're here. Because we are not in this place, but because he indwells his people, which is you and me. How incredible is that? And so the strength of God that comes often comes in times when we are depleted. Paul said it this way, I'm poured out like a drink offering for the people. And yet God uses us in that seemingly human weakness that his strength shines out of us. And it's not what we expect because sometimes we don't feel that strong. 
and we don't get the emotional response of just that right song. But instead, the word builds us up, and we feel our muscles expanding as we give everything we have to Jesus. I used to have a little landscaping company, and um, it was a did not go well because I'm not called to be a landscaper. Uh, but I, I cut some grass and I did some stuff, and and so I had trucks and I had guys working for me. And one day I I was working on my own project in my own backyard, and so I had a young guy come out who was a friend of mine, and he was um, just graduating high school, and he was a a great kid and a young hard worker, fit guy. And we started this project where I was going to dig out part of a hill and make a retaining wall in the back of my backyard of my house. And so I said, hey, I'm going to pay you. You come out. This will be a blessing. I need your help. It's going to be hard work. Um, I can't get any machines back here, so we're just going to have to dig this thing out by hand, and it's going, to be, it's going to be something. Have you ever dug a hole, and you get like the first nine inches down, you're like, I could do this all day. You're like, this is great. And then you hit like the clay at inch 12, and suddenly your whole world just becomes pain and suffering. That's pretty much what happened. So we're digging, but we're digging like four foot. I mean, we moved tons, literally tons of dirt. And so we're digging, and this kid, it's like 110 degrees outside in August. And this kid is sitting on the side of the hill where we've been digging. And so it's, you know, a couple feet down. And he's sitting like this, and he's got a shovel, and he's going, huh. Uh, huh. Like, and it's not, I mean, just the shovel is like hitting the top of the dirt and then little pieces are rolling. That's all that's happening. And so he does this for a minute and I'm still digging away. And finally I just looked at him and I said, hey, hey brother. And he looked at me and he's like, yeah. I said, drink some water, take a break, dig or don't dig. What you're doing now means nothing. And he looked at me, threw up. <laughs> <laughs> Got some water, and then came back to work. And it was funny because this was one of his first like hard work labor jobs with somebody, and he really wanted to like do well and impress me, you know. And and God bless him, he's just a great guy. And I remember looking at him, just sweat pouring down him. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I said, brother, it's it's okay, it's okay. It feels like sometimes the church is just sitting on the side of a hill, throwing a shovel out. You know, Jesus said that the Lord of the harvest, he owns the harvest, is waiting for prayers to send workers into his field, not just to sow seeds, but to reap a harvest for him. And it's hard work and it's depleting and it feels like we have nothing left and you're right on the edge of throwing up and suddenly the strength of God comes out of you by his own word, which will not return to him void. Think of this for a moment. If you're talking to somebody about Jesus, a neighbor, a friend, a colleague, whatever, if the Lord has called them, if the Lord says, you are mine, you cannot screw up what you say to them because the Lord's word will not return to them void. It will not. So you can stand there and fumble and say, Jesus, Lord, you should believe because I believe and we believe. You believe, right? You can say that much. You just said, Jesus is Lord, and they're like, I, th- I do believe. I think I do. Good, g- good. What do you believe? <laughs> and it's really important now, cross, resurrection, those things are help- very helpful. But tell them the gospel. And even if we do it imperfectly, it's not our work that God is so honored by that we did it so perfectly for him. What can we create? 
that compares to the majesty of the mountains? What can we create that compares to the intricacy of life? Holding a grandbaby for the first time, and you look at that child and you think, Lord, what can I do for you that could ever compare to the blessing you give me? And yet, he has called you that as you walk for him and and speak out for Him, and rest on the Word, and tell people about Jesus, and make disciples, and stand with your strength depleted. His strength comes through, and God does all the work and all the action, and then He says, well done, my son. And you feel His pride and His his gaze of favor looking upon you, and it's like life is worth living in every way when you're in Jesus. I can't imagine what it's like to go from jackpot to jackpot in the casino or high to high, or work accolade to work accolade, and it just fails to nothing. But when you are walking in God's will, and even though it's not your strength, but it's His, and you say, Lord, all glory be to you, Jesus, I love you, and you feel Him say, son, daughter, I love you. Your heart just bursts, doesn't it? That's what it means to be strengthened. Being strengthened is much better in our own weakness even, than trying just to go through life thinking about being strong, being so built up, being so ready that you are keeping your own reserve for whatever might happen. Peter tells us that God himself is the one strengthening us, the God ready of all grace. Grace means undeserved favor that even though we didn't deserve it, he pours out his favor upon us. The God of all grace, he himself is the one who strengthens us. How? What do we do? What do strong people look like? Turn with me to 1 Peter 1, verse 13. 1 Peter 1, verse 13, it says this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Strong people are holy people. Strong people are holy people. Look in chapter 2 at verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, says Peter, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage a war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What do strong people look like? Strong people look like holy people. What does holy mean? Holy means set apart, different. The people who are strong have ways of life that are different than the world. They are different than the world. This is becoming ever more increasingly important because if we're going to rest and be a people of the word of God, it is in stark contrast to the message of the world. It is in stark contrast to the message of the world. The world tells you, you can define yourself and be whatever you want to be. You can choose to be anything you want. You get to decide what you identify as. And the Bible's message is, you are identified as an enemy of God, unless you're in Jesus Christ. 
And that kind of language, even just saying that, an enemy of God, wow, that's hard to say, isn't it? It seems so mean-spirited. It seems so unchristian to not just accept everybody. Why don't we just tolerate everything? But the reality is we're celebrating 10 years of marriage for the Cheng family. That's incredible. You understand, that's the absolute exception. Absolute exception in our world. Because you get to define whatever you want. And marriage is just for you and your needs. And you get your needs met. If you don't, you leave. And ideas like faithfulness and holiness and morals just go out the window, don't they? I'm not saying that to bring us down. I'm saying that to say holy people are strong people because holy people rest their lives on this and not on the message that the world says. What else do holy people look like or strong people look like? They are loving. Look in chapter 1 at verse 22. Chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth from a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of the perishable seed, but of the imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Strong people are holy people. They're also loving people. The whole book of 1 Peter is going to continue about what does it mean to be loving people, where husbands are supposed to love their wives and wives are supposed to love and respect their husbands and, and people are supposed to be um, honorable in their conduct among all the Gentiles and among all the, the empire even and, and to even give homage to the, the emperor and all the officials and governors because God has put people in power. Uh, I used to teach a class at, at a little high school and um, I taught American history and government and politics, and it was, it was really fun. It was great with high school seniors. And I had an important rule from the very first day. I said, and this was several years ago when uh, President Obama was in office, and I said, you can agree or disagree with any politician or any document we, we read or whatever or each other, but when you refer to President Obama, it will only be as President Obama. You will never just say Obama. And the reason for that is he's the President of the United States. And we're going to give him the honor that the Lord has given him. And the kids in the class were like, okay. But we did that with everybody because I remember, I remember senators on the floor when President George W. Bush was the President, mocking him from the Senate floor. I remember that. And if our senators mock the President, it doesn't matter who the guy is in office. I'm not saying that. It's not the politics I'm talking about. Can we honor people? You know, if you have a manager that you absolutely cannot stand, and you call that guy clown man behind his back, how can you have a Christian witness in your workplace? If everything you say is about clown man, it's not going to work. We honor the authorities that God has given us because we know the authority. And we trust him more than we trust our own strength. Strong people are holy people. They're also the people who demonstrate God's love everywhere they go. And God's love tells the truth. So you can tell people the truth in a respectful way. And say, president whoever or manager whoever, this is the truth. It's a different way, isn't it? Contrast that with the world. At the water cooler, everything's about clown man or about whoever, clown employee. Bringing them down, breaking them down. 
There's no love. There's no building up. There's no help. Strong people are people who love. Turn with me to chapter 3, verse 15. Chapter 3, verse 15. Strong people are holy people. Strong people are loving people. And also strong people are people who defend the truth. John 3, 15. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. This is the loving part coming out. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, not if, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. What do strong people look like? They are holy people, they are loving people, and they are defenders of the truth. But how does this work? How does this happen? Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says this, he talks about having purified our souls in verse 22, and having this brotherly love. He says in verse 23, Since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all the flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass, grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The Lord's word does not return to him void. How is it that we are made strong people? Do you understand that you are a strong person? a strong Christian, strengthened by God himself, the God of grace, because he has spoken strength over you. We don't get strengthened by doing the best workouts. We don't get strengthened by having such a devotion regime that we are sure that our spiritual muscles are so strong. Devotions are wonderful. You should do them. You should have a regime. Having said that, we trust God himself that he's the one through Christ because of Christ's death and his resurrection, that the Lord Jesus who called us, who owns us, who's sanctifying us, that he himself is the one who strengthens us. And how does he do it? He does it by the imperishable seed, the living and abiding word of God. The word makes you strong. And we're duped sometimes by the power of emotion or the power of a song. Because the Word of God is powerful and effective, and it, God uses the Word to strengthen us. Why does He do that? How could He do that? Because the Word, it's, it's Him, it's His Spirit, it's His character. And He implants it in us, and He uses the Word itself to change us and shape us and strengthen us. Peter knows this well. Peter lived all these things. If you recall, Peter, he was, a, uh, he was a fisherman. You ever met a fisherman? They're, they're rough and tumble guys. In our, in our cultural context, it probably would be like meeting a real cowboy. You know, they're, they're out there, they're hard workers. Peter was a hard worker. Peter, in the garden, wanted to fight for Jesus. And Jesus had set his flint, like his face like flint to go to Jerusalem to suffer the cross for us. He knew exactly where he, he was going and what he was doing. In fact, he had told the disciples, he said, my time of suffering is coming. He had made it clear to them that he was going to die. And Peter now goes to pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Judas comes with a kiss to betray Jesus. And he brings in all these soldiers and all these people. And what does Peter do? Does Peter run away? 
He's ready to fight. He told Jesus, I'll fight for you. I'll go to jail for you. I'll die for you. And so somehow he's been carrying a weapon. And he pulls out a sword and he cuts a guy's ear off. I'm going to tell you right now, ears are hard to aim for. He wasn't aiming for the guy's ear. He was going to kill this guy for Jesus. And praise God he didn't. And then the Lord takes the servant's ear and restores him. He tells Peter, we don't need to do that. And Peter's troubled because just before this episode, Jesus had told him, before the crow crows three times, you will deny me. And Peter in his zeal wants to fight for Jesus. He wants to do the right thing. And it looks like violence. It looks like fighting. It looks like using the weapons in a physical way that we think we should do. It looks like human strength. And instead, Jesus turns all that on his head and says, we're going to win this war in a spiritual way, not in your strength. And then Peter goes away and he follows Jesus when they take him. The soldiers have captured him. They take him down to the temple first where they're going to question him. And Peter follows at a distance in the middle of the night. And he's coming down and following and they're questioning Peter and while, questioning Jesus. And while Jesus is being questioned, Peter's in the little courtyard outside. Do you remember the story? There's people gathered. There's a fire going, a charcoal fire. And around this fire, there's a little servant girl. And she recognizes him. And she says, hey, you're one of those guys. You were always with Jesus, right? And he says, oh, no, no, it's not me. It was always me. No, she says, no, I, I'm sure I saw you. You were one of those guys. You were always with Jesus. You were like really close. He's like your friend, right? Oh, no, no, not me. Somebody else. Definitely somebody else. Listen, I'm sure I saw you with Jesus. Girl, shut it. I wasn't me. I don't know him. And the rooster crows. He went from cutting a guy's ear off, ready to commit murder, ready to die, ready to go to jail, to denying him three times to a girl. He wasn't around the soldiers at this point. He wasn't inside the court. He was outside around the fire, the early, early hours of the morning. So what does he do? Jesus dies on the cross. All hope seems to be over. Everything is for naught. And he goes back to fishing. And John chapter 20, it tells us that he goes out on the water and he's in the middle of the night trying to catch fish. And all night struggling and trying to find fish. And then in the early hours of the morning, there's a figure on the shore. And that figure on the shore says, cast your net on the other side. And immediately Peter remembers. He remembers how Jesus called him. He remembers and recognizes this is Jesus. And he jumps out of the boat. He leaves his old everything behind again for the second time to swim into Jesus. And dripping wet, he comes on the shore. And there's Jesus sitting with a charcoal fire. You know, there's only two times in the whole New Testament that the word charcoal fire is used. And it's used when Peter denies Jesus. And it's used when Jesus is waiting on the shore. You know the funny thing about a charcoal fire? It has a distinct smell. You know a funny thing about early in the morning? Crows tend to cry. And here's Jesus. It's the same scene. 
But instead of everybody, instead of the little girl questioning, Jesus has brought him right back to the place of denial. Right back to those same feelings, right back to that same smell, right back to that same everything. And here's Peter who's encouraging us, be holy. Here's Peter encouraging us, be loving. Here's Peter encouraging us to defend the faith who he himself has failed on every account. And Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? And three times he asks him the question. And Peter feels the shame of having denied his Savior. But Jesus restores him through love. Jesus restores him because he died on the cross to take even Peter's denial, even the sin of walking away from God and nailing that record of debt to the cross. He rose again that Peter would know life, and he did that for us as well. That we would know all of our faults and failures and debt nailed to the cross, and now the life of the resurrected king flowing through us. And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And what does Jesus say? He says, feed my lambs. Strengthen them. How do you feed the... How do you feed the lambs? You feed them with the word of God. And now this is Peter who's been restored. Now this is Peter writing this letter to the Christians who are suffering for God. Now he's writing this letter to people who are being derided and and brought down and, and there's rumors and all kinds of things happening against them. And he's telling them how they should live. And he says, the God of all grace who he met on the seashore. That God who is alive, who is powerful. His word does not return to him void. He himself will strengthen you for the task because he's made you holy because he is the one who gives you his holiness because he makes you a defender of the faith because he speaks his word through you and because he is loving and he's made you to be a loving person in him. What a great God we serve. What a great God we serve. I had a, uh, a job when I was in that landscaping business in Ladue, this big house, and this lady wanted a, um, a rock garden built. You know, the thing about rock is it's super heavy. So she wanted this, this rock garden, and so I was like, yeah, I can do that, and I watched some YouTube videos. This is why I'm not a landscaper anymore, on how to do that, and I built this rock garden for her, and I had to move thousands of pounds of rock which I had no equipment, so I had two wheelbarrows. And so I called my cousin, Colin, and um, John Bennett, who is my, our brother, he used to work here with us. He's in England now, and we love him. And they came out to work, and, uh, and so we're gonna move all this rock. And so um, pulled up the, you know, I had a giant dump truck dump all the, the rock for us, and then we were using this wheelbarrow to move it to the back of the house, and it was significantly heavy. I mean, it was very, very hard work. Again, because of St. Louis, it was August and 110 degrees. And so um, we start working, you know, and my cousin Colin was running everywhere he went. Running. I mean, he was, he worked, he worked so hard. This guy showed up from the moment his boots touched the ground to the moment we finished the job. I don't think he took a break other than one time, I'm pretty sure he threw up in the woods. Sorry for that's gross. Pretty sure he ran back and then came back out running again. He ran, he ran with the wheelbarrow. 
He ran the wheelbarrow back. He, I mean, he shoveled like, like his life depended on getting this done today. It was amazing. And so at the end, I asked him, I said, Colin, you know, John and I, are, we're beat up and tired and, you know, it's been just a long day. I said, Colin, you worked like a machine. I, I, that was amazing. And he said, he said, yeah, he said, you called me. I said, yeah, I, thank you. He goes, yeah, I probably can't do any more jobs right now because I'm in school because he was a college student. He goes, but, uh, but you called me, so I, I wanted to work hard for you. I said, yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. He goes, no, I, just so you know, because you asked me, I gave it everything I had. Uh, yeah, I, I was stunned. I, I looked at him like, what? He goes, hey, you asked me to work, so I worked really hard. I, I, what do you say to that? Church, we got to wake up. We have a Savior who died on the cross for us, who rose to life, who strengthens us by the power of his word. Sometimes we live life like we haven't heard his call. Sometimes it's easier for us to sit on the side and just sort of throw our shovel out, hoping that God will give us something to receive instead of working because he's the one who called our name. He said, come work for me. Doesn't he, doesn't he deserve? Isn't he worthy of everything we have? And the fear, of course, is if I give him everything, if I really show all of my depleted strength to him, if I'm vulnerable to that point, what's left? Can I risk that? Won't it make me vulnerable in the end? And the truth of the matter is, as we serve him and give him everything we are, he fills us with strength from his word that's so beyond our capacity and understanding, that's so much bigger and stronger and more powerful than anything that we could reserve in the tank. As we give him all that we have, he in grace and love fills us to do more than we could ever think because he's so good. He's the God of all grace, even though we have not deserved it. And we can never deserve it. And yet he pours out his favor. Are you ready? Because he really loves you. And he really did restore us and make us his. He made you holy. He made you loving. He made you a defender of the faith. Stand in his strength and look for every opportunity where you can deplete yourself for him because he's worthy. And I'm telling you from the word of God, he will restore your strength. And you will find that you are operating in him in far greater capacity than you ever thought you could operate in yourself. Because he's much bigger than us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you called us to be yours. We are so humbled. Lord, as we think about your holiness, we think about how you love, as we think about how you are, you are our faith, you are the way, the truth, and the life, Father, we confess to you we can never measure up. But Lord, with you, because of Jesus, because of your salvation, because of your call, because of your peace, because of your life, because of your gospel, God, we rest on you. Lord, help us. Give us opportunities where, as we give you everything we have, fill us with your strength. 
Father, forgive us for trying to find emotional ways to refill ourselves instead of coming to you, God. Lord, let your word reign in us that we would know you and be close to you and see you and that every day we would serve you well. Father, it's our heart's desire to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus, give us a harvest here in Chesterfield, Lord, in Bowling, in Ellisville, in Creefcor, in St. Peter's, in St. Charles County, Lord, in Lincoln County, in Pike County, in all of Missouri, Father. Give us a harvest here in the United States. Give us a harvest for you that we would shout with all your disciples that Jesus Christ is worthy. Father, help us to be disciplers and not just people who walk down the street and don't do anything for you. But Lord, make us builders with you because you indwell us, God. Father, we want to know you. We want to see other stones put next to us, Lord. We want to see the mortar of your gospel hold us together because you, O Lord, are worthy and you are seated on the throne. Father, strengthen us. Strengthen us in this day that we wouldn't acquiesce to any kind of message of the culture, but instead, Father, help us to proclaim your word. Lord, that we would rest on your word. We would proclaim your word. We would disciple by your word. And Father, we know that your word is powerful, is effective, and never returns to you void. So, Father, we trust you. We look to you. Lord, help us, God. You yourself, we pray according to your word. Strengthen us, O God of grace, that we would see you and serve you well this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Let the peace of our Father, let the reign of his Son, and let the power of the Holy Spirit fill you as you serve him. Be blessed. Have a great day. Thank you all.